The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. We're going to talk about why the Packers bore the national media. We're also going to talk about the MLB not caring about small markets and their All-Star Game starters, the All-Star Game festivities. Say everything you need to know about that. Lastly, we will talk about why Oktoberfest's beer needs to be out in mid-August. This is a Chuck's Corner PSA. We, we're, we've gone too far. We've strayed from the light. I'll talk about that in at the end of the show. Uh, before we get going, just a reminder, make sure you're following us on social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg, uh, tapping the keg sports, excuse me, on Instagram or TikTok. Make sure you get those likes up on Instagram. It's been low uh, recently. Who knows why? Uh, you never know with that type of shit, but we'd appreciate some love and support. If you can, um, if you see it in the feed, give it a like. If you just look it up, give it a like too. I don't care. Uh, however you want to do it, I appreciate it. Uh, also, make sure that you're following along on the social or the podcast platforms. Following along, I guess. You can't follow podcasts, uh, but subscribe. Uh, please do that, uh, whether that is on Apple, whether that's on Spotify, uh, anywhere else you get your podcasts. Uh, we are there. And for some reason, we're not. Just let us know. And rate, review, and subscribe. You know what to do. We'd appreciate the rating and reviewing and sharing. I guess if for us, because we're a smaller podcast, it should be rate, review, and share. That really should be the three for us. Uh, please share out the podcast. We appreciate any sort of love and support that we do get from our loyal listeners. The Green Bay Packers have had a great deal of success over the last few decades, starting with Brett Favre and now with Aaron Rodgers. There have been certain dips where it was the two Rodgers years where it got hurt in 2017 and 2018 or the 3-13 and 13 year with Brett Favre. But overall, the Packers have ruled the roost in the NFC North. And in the last couple of years, nothing has been more clear than that. Matt LaFleur came into the NFC North and has been the king since he started there. The Packers have been very tough to beat in the four years now with Matt LaFleur in the NFC North. The Packers have not had a year where Matt LaFleur has not won the NFC North crown. Therefore, when we're making predictions and we're into the, I wouldn't even say this is silly season, we're in like the waiting pool of the NFL season. We're ready to give out predictions. We're ready to talk about teams being potentially good. I think people drift towards the NFC North because the NFC North looks boring. It's It's been the Packers and everybody else. And that's still the case. I, I think there's nothing that makes me think that the Vikings or the Lions or the Bears will be able to be on the same level of the Green Bay Packers this season. Yet the national media will tell you differently, which is totally okay. It's not a rip on the national media. It's just the Packers being the best team is boring. For example, Colin Cowherd yesterday said that the Vikings could win 13 or 14 games next season. That's absolutely ridiculous. I don't see any sort of pathway for the Vikings to win 13 or 14 games. Now, I think Coward gets ragged on a lot because he's not a huge Rodgers guy, but Coward is usually pretty smart on the NFL, and this one is way out of bounds. Like, I think it's just reaching way too far. You had Warren Sharp the other day who basically quote-tweeted Ben Lieber, who was a former Vikings linebacker. Lieber was talking with national radio about how Mike Zimmer didn't like Kirk Cousins. 
and how it might have affected his play. I don't think any of us are shocked that Mike Zimmer did not like Kirk Cousins, but the fact that this suddenly makes people think the Vikings will be different is a weird flex. They have a brand new coach. Kevin O'Connell is fresh out the whoop, all right? Like, it's going to take some time, first of all. I do. I am thankful the Packers get the Vikings early. I think that will help them. But at the same point, they also have Ed Donatel as their defensive coordinator. Do you remember, if you remember that name, Packer fans, it should be one you realize. Because Donatel was the same guy who gave up the 4th and 26 in the 2003 divisional playoff round. Ed Donatel somehow is still around the league. He hasn't been a defensive coordinator in forever. And now Ed Donatel is getting another shot. Now, we ragged on Joe Barry. Joe Barry had maybe a similar lowlights. So Ed Donatel is trying to recapture, but it can go either way. It can either be that this guy still knows ball, still can figure out how to coach a defense, or he is completely lost and all of his methods are old school and out of date. They also have Mike Patton, former friend, as an assistant coach, and Mike Smith as the outside linebackers coach, part of the reason why. Zadarius Smith is on the roster, and Zadarius Smith will be part of their starting 3-4 defense. And I'll be very interested to see if Smith can revive his career after what was an extremely disappointing 2021 that I still don't think we have the full story on. Like I, I'm still waiting for Jason Willoughby or Matt Schneidman to write the piece about all the shit that happened with Zadarius Smith because I think it's long. I think it's extensive. I don't think... That what was said in the media, what was talked about with the team, really is all that happened. I think there is a lot more to that onion that deserves to be unpeeled. But back to Donatel and Patton Smith, they don't have that good of a defense. So if we're hyping up the Vikings, if we're saying, hey, the Vikings can be a 13 or 14 win team, Kirk Cousins would have to be an MVP. Kirk Cousins would have to be an MVP. And we just haven't seen that from Kirk Cousins for his entire career. Even if his last coach hated him, he was well-liked in in Washington. Kirk Cousins is an 11-win quarterback at best. There are going to be games that Kirk Cousins loses you. Loses, and, and there's nothing you can do about that, okay? Like, that's just who Kirk Cousins is. I'm not saying Kirk Cousins is a bad quarterback. He is just a little bit above average. And to me, Kirk Cousins isn't the type of guy that can win you 13 or 14 games especially when you have a team like the Packers in your division that you have to play twice. And yes, the Vikings have had a little more success against the Packers in past years, sure. But at the same token, the Green Bay Packers are going to want some revenge with Zadarius Smith. I guarantee you. I guarantee you there will be some revenge angle. I also know that this defense will probably look the best in week one. Now, maybe they'll look the best at other points, but They will be fully healthy in week one. The Vikings do not want to see the Packers, and I think the Packers want to see the Vikings. They can set the tone early that this is the same sort of thing as years past. Now, some might say after week one, even if the Packers beat them by double digits, that they're not wavering, that they think the Vikings can still be a very successful team. That's fine. I can see an idea of the Vikings being a wildcard team. I can understand this. But it goes back to the point of the Packers aren't exciting. Taking the Packers does nothing for the hot take world. That does nothing for engagements. 
Everybody knows the Packers are the best team in the NFC North. Everybody knows that the Packers are going to be one of the best in the NFC. So that does nothing in terms of content production. Saying the Vikings is sexy. Going against the Packers feels like something you should do from a gambling perspective because the Packers have such inflated odds. I understand that if you're not a Packer fan. I really do. I get the idea of taking a shot at the Vikings at 3-1. to one. That makes a lot of sense to me. But at the same time, it's not necessarily rooted in fact. It's rooted in betting against the heavy favorite, just like people did with Albert Pujols versus Kyle Schwarber, even if Schwarber might have fixed that match. But that's another story for another time. I get that idea, okay? Like, I really do. But I think this idea that we need to make these wild claims about the Vikings are not rooted in fact. They just aren't. You just think that this Vikings defense is suddenly going to fix itself, that they're going to be able to have enough offensive firepower to compete? They have one of the worst secondaries in football. Patrick Peterson is washed beyond washed. Cameron Dantzler has not been what the Vikings hoped he would be. Yes, they did draft Lewis Seen. I think that's going to work out for them. They could have a very good safeties unit with Seen and Smith. Harrison Smith is the only bright spot. Shannon Sullivan was a disaster. The Packers let Shannon Sullivan walk. Shannon Sullivan had moments at nickel cornerback, but he struggled more times than not. They have a very questionable secondary. And if a guy like Harrison Smith goes down, they have nothing left. If a guy like Patrick Peterson goes down or Cameron Dantzler, they have to rely on two rookies, their second round pick and their fourth round pick of this year. That's not good. That does not feel good if you're a Vikings fan. Yes, they still have an impressive front seven and they've added to it with free agents like Phillip, Arizona Phillips, Zayarius Smith, Jordan Hicks who was added. Like they have guys who are, yeah, impressive on that front line. They've also had a hard time staying healthy. Eric Eric Hendricks has had injuries. Daniil Hunter's had injuries. So I will wait to declare the Vikings for real until we've seen it for eight or nine games. Now, I'm not saying take their under. I'm not saying fade Cowherd. Rather, I'm saying just let's be real about this. This is more a vote against the Packers than anything else. And Cowher's not the only one to do this. I mentioned Sharp. Bill Simmons also said similar things about about the the Minnesota Vikings. So it's not like it's just Cowher, okay? So this is not, not just one person. And on top of that, people are saying similar things about the Detroit Lions. Now, they're not saying the Detroit Lions can win the division, but there is a ton of hype around the Detroit Lions this season that the Detroit Lions are going to be a playoff team. That's absurd to me, all right? Like, I understand that the Lions could be better. I understand that it's going to be a dogfight every time you face the Lions. But to basically expect the Lions to make a Cincinnati Bengals-like move this year feels absolutely wild to me. They still have a ton of holes in that team. They are far from fixed. Like, I, I right now cannot look at this and say, all right, yeah, the Detroit Lions are definitely a fringe playoff team. But there are going to be people who sell you on that. Right now, they do not have a second tight end. They have DJ Hawkinson and then a bunch of other guys. DeAndre Swift, yes, talented. Jamison Williams is a year away from, I think, being special. 
They do have a very good offensive line. Their defense, their defense is full of no-namers. They would have to have a lot of things work out for them for you to say, all right, yeah, the Lions are going to contend for a playoff spot. They are, I think, a year away. I just think, I understand the excitement. I think a lot of people like Dan Campbell. I think Hard Knocks is going to inflate this. I almost would wait to bet their under until Hard Knocks comes out because I think people will just instinctively bet their over. Like I think you have to look at this and say, all right, the Lions are a team that is a year away from being special. I really do. I think next year, we have to have a serious conversation about the Lions. The Lions, to me, you want to have a hot take about the NFC North. The Lions, to me, have a better trajectory than the Chicago Bears. To me, the Chicago Bears are a rudderless ship. Like I think there is no direction right now with the Bears. I think there is direction with the Lions. I think the Lions know what they're doing. I think they, but I do think it's a year away. So, and that happens. I, I think, and it goes back to the Packers being the bell of the ball. The Packers being something that people do not want to talk about because there's nothing left. It's Aaron Rodgers. How will Aaron Rodgers survive without Devontae Adams? And you can make that hot take and say, Packers are going to take a step back without Devontae Adams. Well, the Packers are 7-0 without Devontae Adams in the last couple of years under Matt LaFleur. So that is not rooted in fact. Anyone who says that the Packers will take a step back with Adams has not done the research. They can acknowledge that the sample size is small. I will recognize that. But is that even a small sample size? That's half a fucking season. So what are we doing here? So how can you say that? The only reason that people will say that is because they are bored of the Packers. The Packers are not exciting. The Packers are not sexy. But what will happen in December and January is the Packers will be on top of the North like they've been for the last three years, kicking the Vikings and the Lions' asses all season. And maybe they will have Lambeau as home field yet again. And this time, they will not fuck it up. Let's move on to baseball. So the All-Star Game festivities, the All-Star Game is tonight. Um, The Derby was yesterday. And what really came clear to me yesterday was that the MLB does not care about small markets at all. And this isn't a sad sack segment. Uh, Bart Winkler, don't get mad at me. I, I doubt Bart listens, but Bart's been raging like he's Keith Oberman the last two days about people not being mad about the fucking Brewers. And I'm frankly sick of it. I, I, it's tiresome. It's just, it's overdone. It's overbaked. Um, even if Bart's leaning into it a little bit hard, it, he needs a better shtick than the wrestling heel, in my opinion. But that's here nor that. Uh, but seriously, I don't think they care one iota about small market teams. And you could say, well, small markets don't make the money. Small markets don't drive the ratings. I understand that. But at the same time, I don't think that the other leagues push aside small markets like you see in Major League Baseball. The NFL embraces their small markets. In fact, some of their small markets have very public themes, like the Green Bay Packers, obviously. The Buffalo Bills are a very small market, but I do think they have an emerging fan base. And I think their fan base is growing with a lot of casual fans because of the like of Josh Allen. I think if you have had Josh Allen on a fantasy team, you have a love for the Bills. And I think there is something fun about rooting for the Bills. So their small markets are embraced and loved. I think with the NBA, the small markets have been accepted. 
They weren't in years past. David Stern hated small markets, all right? David Stern wanted nothing to do with small markets. You can't convince me that the 2001 NBA Eastern Conference Finals wasn't fixed, all right? Like, David Stern did not want the Bucs in the NBA Finals. The Bucs were, the Bucs should have been in the Finals. Allen Iverson got every call in the lane. It was egregious. It was at a time where a lot of chicanery was going on. The same type of shit happened with the Los Angeles Lakers and the Sacramento Kings. They did not want the Sacramento Kings in the Finals. The Sacramento Kings were better off being a team eliminated. Nice story, but that did not drive ratings. I don't think that's the case anymore in the NBA. It's much thanks to LeBron James because of the Cleveland Cavaliers. The first iteration, honestly, uh, having the Cavs being on the public stage, getting the ratings with a team like Cleveland, and then on top of that, the return, amplifying it even more and winning a championship. And then Giannis Antetokounmpo kind of putting the cherry on top for those small markets to say, yes, things can be done in a small market and we're staying in those small markets. Zion Williamson maybe being the next version of this with the five-year, $180 million contract. John Morant talking about how he wants to stay in Memphis. Small markets are being embraced in the NBA more than any other league. And I think the NBA deserves a ton of credit for that. Now, is it player-driven? Absolutely. Do I think that small markets would matter more if players were more on social media, more in the media talking about how they are committed to cities? Yes, potentially. But the MLB does not care about teams that basically don't matter. The MLB cares about a few teams. It is the Los Angeles Dodgers. It is the Chicago Cubs. It is the New York Yankees. It's the Boston Red Sox. It's the St. Louis Cardinals. Philadelphia Phillies, New York Mets. That's about it. I would throw maybe the Atlanta Braves in there, the Houston Astros. All right? We can throw those two teams in as well. That's about it. Maybe the White Sox too. But the MLB does not care about your small market or care about a franchise that is maybe on a second tier or even the lowest tier. Clint Kershaw starting the All-Star game is an absolute fucking joke. That is not what the All-Star game is about. It is not a participation trophy award. Clayton Kershaw is not even the best pitcher on his fucking team this year. All right? It's Tony Goslin. Tony Goslin has had a great year. If anyone's starting for LA, it is Goslin. This is not a Susan Lucci, like, honorary award. Kershaw should not get that honor. He has not been the best pitcher in the National League. Sandy Alcantara is having an incredible fucking year. Sandy Alcantara is the Cy Young at this point. It's going to take a lot for Sandy Alcantara not to win NL Cy Young. He's been absolutely incredible. Sandy deserves this moment. The Marlins deserve to see their guy leading off the Fox broadcast. That shit matters. I had an old Facebook memory. I think it was 2008. When Ben Sheets was the starter for the National League for the All-Star Game. Ben Sheets was having an incredible year. And Sheets was named the starter. Might have been 2011. doesn't matter. Regardless, that was so cool for me, especially in a, in a year and when the Brewers weren't very good, that we had an all-star starter. The Marlins can look at Sandy Alcantara and Jazz Chisholm. I don't know if Jazz is playing, actually. But regardless, if he was, that, like, this is next. Like, we're up next. Like, we have the pieces to be a real franchise again. The Marlins aren't a small market, and maybe I should have rephrased this better, okay? 
but in the sense of baseball, they are. They are a small. They operate like a small small market, just like the Oakland A's do. That's not a small market in the actual TV markets, things like that. But they are okay. And the lack of empathy here, the lack of understanding to say, "All right, we'll just give this to Clayton Kershaw." Like, what the fuck are we doing? That is not baseball. That is not what this is supposed to be. I understand recognizing the past. I think it's weird that Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera are getting honorary all-star spots, especially because Cabrera is not retiring this year. He's retiring next year. But I, so I, 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 but I get it. I, I get it. I do. I think the, all, the home run derby was a little bit over the top for Pujols and the filleting that ESPN did was extremely over the top. Like they had Albert Pujols' cock all in their mouth, like all up in that mouth. Like that, it was... It was bad. It was really bad in my opinion. I thought it was definitely was, they were cheering. They had an interest. Now, I'm not trying to talk about the sanctity of journalism during a all-star derby, but Carl Ravitch, first of all, is not a derby guy. For That needs to be said. Like Ravitch, Ravitch is one of my least favorite broadcasters. I think Carl Ravitch and Steve Levy both have this, like, we've done this for so long. We've been behind the booth. Like, we deserve to do play-by-play and ESPN lets them. And they are just both brutal at it. But that's just here nor there. So anyways, uh, these small markets are not loved. Clayton Kershaw getting that honor over Sandy Alcantara is absolute bullshit. And if Kershaw was anything of a man, he would say that. And he would say, you know what? I don't deserve this. Sandy deserves this. But Kershaw doesn't care because he's self-interested. This looks great on his legacy. Kershaw... I guess deserves this. And thankfully, when we go to Seattle next year, there will not be any of that. There's no old timer that needs to be starting on the mound. There's no pitcher or hitter that needs to be featured, you know, in the Derby. It'll be about Julio Rodriguez, and I do think he sort of launched himself on the national stage. But that's what baseball should be all about. That's what the All-Star game can do. Julio Rodriguez is now a household name. Us who've paid attention to baseball the last few months know Julio Rodriguez. Now everybody knows about Julio Rodriguez. Julio Rodriguez, it's suddenly like, all right, the Mariners are in town. We're going to go watch Julio Rodriguez. And we're going to care more about what Julio Rodriguez is doing. Maybe there are more Mariners games on Fox or on FS1 or TBS going forward. I think there will be maybe a little bit less than what you'd see, but that might be a next year thing. Because of Julio's, you know, impact and a future face of baseball. Sandy Alcantara could have got the same sort of attention with the first two innings of baseball. But instead, we will watch Sandy in the third or fourth inning. And by that point, the casuals might tune out. Might be like, we want to see the pomp and circumstance of the All-Star game. But then, you know what? It's an All-Star game and we're out. I do think that the All-Star game for baseball is the best of the bunch. So that's why I'm even more disgusted about this Kershaw thing. But just a reminder that baseball would not want to see any sort of small market involved in the World Series. And this is clear proof. They would prefer New York versus LA. That's all they want. If they get the Mets and Dodgers and then the Dodgers and Yankees, that is baseball's wet dream. I don't think that could be said for the NFL or the NBA. They care about things that aren't just who's going to give us the biggest rating, 
because they actually can make money other than just the TV markets. All right, let's finish up today's show with, uh, I would say a PSA. I want to say it's a rant uh, about Oktoberfest uh, beers. That is not just Oktoberfest, the event. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar with Oktoberfest beers, they are celebrating. Well, you, I'm sure you guys know, but in case you don't, you're not a beer person. Uh, Oktoberfest beers are usually out in the fall. Uh, they usually get released around Oktoberfest, which is in Munich, in Germany, in mid-September. Uh, so I don't understand why Milwaukee craft brews are coming out with Oktoberfest in early August. I do not get that in the slightest. I think that is way too early to be drinking Oktoberfest beer. Oktoberfest beer is meant to be enjoyed with a crisp in the air. Oktoberfest beers are similar to a lot of other fall things. You know, your squashes, your apple pies, your just anything apple, right? Or pumpkin, right? But it's like we are immediately ready to transition to fall. And I don't understand this trend, especially in the Midwest, where we don't get a lot of summer. Like, let us enjoy those fruited sours. Let us enjoy those wheat beers, the Hefeweizens, right? If you're German, okay? Enjoy those beers, or Pilsners for that matter. I think Oktoberfest in in early August is egregious. Like, there needs to be, like, a line of demarcation. Like, you need to have, like, Oktoberfest day. Like, I was appalled, not appalled, that's a little strong, but I was, like, kind of, it was crazy to me that Third Space is doing their Oktoberfest release on July 30th. Now, if someone from Third Space would explain to me, like, why you bring Oktoberfest out early, if they're like, it's super popular, people buy it up right away, okay, then maybe I'm wrong. But I just do not see Oktoberfest as a early August beer. It just isn't. And August can be an unpredictable weather in its own right, but usually it's hot. Usually it's warm outside. That's not the type of beer you're drinking when it's hot outside. We talked about this on a, another show when we were doing properly rated, overrated, and underrated. And I talked about kind of how craft beer in the summer is a little bit overrated. If it gets to a certain temperature, there are just beers you look at and you're like, I'm not drinking this, all right? Like I have some stouts in my fridge right now that I haven't touched, right? That I'm looking at and I'm like, all right, we'll see you guys around the football season. Or if it gets cold in August, in middle of August, it's like, all right, yeah, maybe we'll bust out that stout. Maybe we'll have that stout now because it's a little bit colder. But to be bringing out your Oktoberfest beers at the start of August just feels completely off to me. I realize that the Oktoberfest window is not a big one. And so maybe, maybe that's why a Third Space is coming out with their beer. And Third Space isn't the only one I hate that I'm picking on them because I like Third Space a lot. Like I need to pick up, it was just a dream, their double IPA, which I, or it's a juicy IPA? It's a juicy IPA, yeah, because it's biggie. I fucking love that. Like that's one of my favorite beers of anything that's that goes on in Southeastern Wisconsin. Like it is a top tier beer for me. So I do have to pick some of that up. So I'm not trying to rag on Third Space. It's just who I saw and why, and it wasn't the only one. And the fact is, is like Oktoberfest should be a, Mid, mid-August beer. It just should, all right? The weather should be turning. We should starting to feel like there's a crisp in the air when you have to wear a hoodie or you have to wear jeans out at night if you're going out for dinner or you're going out for drinks. Like that's when Oktoberfest beers should be humming. 
Football is getting closer. You know, you should be starting your week zero, uh, which is, I think, August 26th, 7th. You should be starting that week with an Oktoberfest, all right? Not necessarily in the early August when baseball is still going on. Like, that is not a baseball beer. Happy Place, which is another third space beer, that's a baseball beer. For sure it is. Or their fruited goes, right? Their cra- I think it's a cranberry goes. Like, that to me, that those are baseball beers, all right? Not the cranberry one, the uh, fruited sour, frog vice, right? Like those are those are beers you can drink. Even the juicy IPA, like I think that's a type of IPA you can drink. I don't go as far to say there are certain IPAs that can't be can't be consumed in the summertime, but I do think there are some people who are like that, where it's like if it's a little too strong, if it's hot as shit outside, I don't want to be drinking this IPA. I'd rather drink, you know, some sort of pilsner or wheat, like we talked about, but. I just do not understand it. I don't get it. I think that we need to rein that shit in. I think that it is a loss uh, from a beer to consumer perspective. I understand there will be people that will buy in those first couple weeks, but I don't think it's something that will immediately change the tide. I don't think anyone is getting fired up for Oktoberfest beers in early August. That to me just isn't happening. So It's a PSA. I realize I am preaching to the choir. I realize that will not stop the breweries from putting out Oktoberfest beers that early. If anything, and this is going to sound mean, I think sometimes it is they are like, ah, we're kind of out of summer ideas. Let's roll out Oktoberfest early. That's what that says to me, honestly. Like, 100%. And and like, again, I like Third Space. So it's like, this sounds like I'm ragging on Third Space. I'm not. Like, if Third Space wants to sponsor the show, all by all means. Or if they want to come on and explain themselves about why Oktoberfest beers are out in early in early August, open invite. I'd love to talk about, like, how it's all set up and how things get distributed. But to me, it sounds like something where it's like, we're in this weird in-between where we have to release a beer, but we don't want to release another summer beer, but we also don't want to you know, lose out on some Oktoberfest profits. So we'll maybe eat slower profits in early August with some of our other summer beers. And then in the middle of August, when people are starting to think about Oktoberfest, like, oh, I could really go for an Oktoberfest. That's when we're going to see the influx. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. Maybe it's not. Maybe I just figured it all out in my head. I don't know. So I don't know where that PS, that was not maybe my best segment, but that's okay. You know what? They all can't be winners. I thought the rest of the podcast was good. Uh, we'll, we'll get better tomorrow. All right, we're going to be back tomorrow. Uh, we'll have another show for you. And then on Thursday, Mitch Ross will be back. Um, also, it will be the Bucks anniversary tomorrow. So we'll, I'm sure, talk about that a little bit in great detail. Um, I'm sure Mitch and I will mention it as well on our show. Um, but yeah, look forward to Mitch Ross and I getting back at it after a week off. So back Thursday. Uh, so hope you guys enjoy that. We'll also have a Friday show. So a full week of programming. While Bill Simmons and Ryan are still take off, we are here for you. So if you guys maybe don't listen as often, it might be a good week to do it. Um, we'll have good content all week for you, and then we'll get ready for next week. All right, take care of yourself. Have a great Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.